Over the past several months, we've been moving through the book of Leviticus. We come this morning to Leviticus chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 23 through 28. And our New Testament complementary passage is the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 11 through 18. So if you would, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. And in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 23, hear God's word. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of all the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And after he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, and continuing in the reading of God's word. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Thus far, in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Almighty God, as we have read, as we have heard, so now let us hear your word, and your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. The children of Israel are camped around this tabernacle. The door of the tabernacle, the orientation of the tabernacle, is such that the walls, the back walls of the tabernacle face west, and the gate of the tabernacle faces east. Tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, have been sitting all day long, watching. This grand play. 
this grand ritual that is the declaration from God that they are at peace with Him. Now, I mentioned the orientation for two reasons. One right up front, the other you'll see in a moment. Because the orientation of the tabernacle is entirely reflective of the Garden of Eden. Off to the east is the place of wilderness. The goat sent there. The goat sent away from the presence of God. The goat in the chaos. And here is the presence of God. The golden lampsticks. The light shining over the table of presence. The Ark of the Covenant with the angels and the cherubim. Every single person in Israel that could fit is around this place. Probably the courtyard is full of the elders. But certainly every member of the community of God had a great passion for what was going on, for this ritual that God had set forward for them. These people are riveted to the sight. And the sight that they see begins at the beginning of Leviticus chapter 16 with Aaron himself saying, I need to be made clean. He dresses himself in white after the cleansing, after the washing. But then he comes out and he confesses on the head of the Azazel goat, the scapegoat, all the sins of the people of Israel. And that goat is sent off away into the chaos, away from the presence of God and His people. But there's another goat that's there. And that goat, on that goat is the life of the child of Israel. The child of Israel sees in that goat himself, herself, and he sees that goat sacrificed. he sees that blood sprinkled from the holy place on the ground all the way out to the altar so that the very ground itself cries out, forgiven, atoned for. The very creation, everything that these people are watching, screams aloud. The debt has been paid. But there's one more ritual that we need. There's one more thing that we have to have. Did you ever wonder why Jesus' last words on this earth are so critical? Specifically, his last words on the cross. (laughs) His last words on the cross. It is finished. 
Beloved, without that statement, without it is finished, your life has no purpose. Your life has no hope. Without that statement, it is finished. You are literally just the hamster on a hamster wheel. Just spinning and spinning and spinning and trying and trying and trying. But the very image that's given for us here in Leviticus, the very picture that is played out before us, very cinematic, is that of a people with an actual wilderness around them with an actual wilderness to their backs, facing the place of God's presence and God's healing. Facing Eden itself. Now, I don't know if I need to explain or make application there. But beloved, there's a lot of chaos out around us right now. There's a lot of chaos in the world around us. I see chaos a lot on my news feeds. I see chaos a lot in the people and the brokenness around me. I think today we are living in a particularly intense period of chaos. And I think any of us would acknowledge that. And how often is it that that chaos reflects your heart. Or that that chaos influences your heart. Because you see, beloved, this is what the picture is. God's painting a picture here of chaos out there and healing in here. And as that chaos out there and healing in here is personal... It transforms your life. And as that chaos out there and healing in here is just some weird story, you're missing it. You're missing the hope. You're missing the joy. You're missing the purpose. The statement, it is finished, could be labeled or could be stamped across these verses. And I want to look at two ways in which we see this declaration. This declaration that God is at peace with His people, that it is truly finished. And in in this section, we've got two specific pictures that you saw when we read Leviticus. The first picture is a picture of sin forgiven. And the second is a picture of a glorious and beautiful priest. Sin forgiven and a glorious and beautiful priest. Now this is not the order in which the passage is laid out for us. It begins with the priest and moves to the declaration of forgiveness of sin. But look at verse 29, I'm sorry, 26. At verse 26 and reading down to verse 28. 
He who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, after he, afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering, the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire, and he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. All of this stuff that is related to the sin, all of it, the clothing and the sacrifice and the ashes that are left over, all of this stuff that has been this visual image of sin, all of it is taken away. The very messenger himself is washed with water and stands there clean, declaring that that goat bearing the sin of God's people is far away. That all of the stuff of the sacrifice, all of this that you see here is far removed, that we stand clean before God. Beloved, do you see that promise there in the goat? Do you see that image in the goat of God declaring to His people that your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west? And if you and I understood that, would it change how we live in the face of the chaos. If you and I understood that truly I am forgiven much, in fact, I'm forgiven all, do you think that maybe we would be more intentional when we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive? our debtors. If you and I truly knew that the kingdom of God is here in our midst, that we are the body of Christ, do you think that maybe we would be a little more intentional about caring for one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another while the day is today? Think of all those all, all those Things in the New Testament. If you know your New Testament, all the things that Paul says to do in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, all that stuff is all about how Christians live together. How we live with one another. Where are you going to learn love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness? Where are you going to learn all that? You're going to learn it from the people you spend time with. You're going to learn it and live it. In your marriages, in your families, and in the church together. To know that our sin is completely removed. All that corruption taken away. And leaving one pure and holy people. What a message. But that's not the only scene that we see here. 
we see the scene of the messenger standing there bringing the good news. <laughs> His feet upon the mountains. The messenger saying the sins are forgiven. They're done away with. But then out of the holy place, with the sun setting behind him, emerges a figure. And I want you to cast your eye upon that figure, for we know what he looked like. He's a figure that is both glorious and beautiful. And this figure is wearing this robe that is entwined with gold threads that sparkle in the sun. He's wearing on his chest, on his his shoulders, two onyx stones. Carved on each one are six names. The two tribes of Israel carved on these two onyx stones. He's wearing this breast piece that has twelve stones set on it. One of them a diamond, another a ruby, amethyst, jewels on which are carved each of the names of the tribes of Israel. This breast piece is held onto him by cords of pure gold. It's a little visual. It's a little striking. It's a little bit stunning. You can see the description of it in Exodus chapter 28. And I say we know that the man is glorious and beautiful because the first instruction in Exodus 28 is you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. Here in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the reality that there is a wilderness out there, and that there is chaos out there, our eyes are drawn entirely to this figure that emerges from the holy place, this priest who is glorious and beautiful, off whose clothes reflect the setting sun. This priest comes out from the holy place and declares that God is at peace. Now, beloved, you read Hebrews with me. The writer to the Hebrews says all of that stunning imagery is a pale shadow. It all spoke to the same thing. We're going to see next time that we come to this text or the next few verses, we're going to see that this is absolutely woven into Israel's identity. Those of you who are familiar know that this is the description of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That's what is at the high point of the calendar as well as the entire Pentateuch. All of the first five books of the Bible build up to this point that you and I are at. This point that you and I witness. This point that you and I gaze with the children of Israel on and see this stunning image of a chaos and wilderness to my back and a priest to my front. And a messenger saying, it is finished. Beloved, if you fix your eyes on that priest, 
If you will fix your eyes on that lovely, glorious, and beautiful priest, then you will know what it is to begin like a a child paddling in the infant pool. (laughs) To begin to know of the depths of the love of God. It blows Paul's mind. I mean, Paul goes on to say, when, when when he considers this very, very thing, that God would declare us righteous, Paul says, oh, the depths and the wonder of the mind of God. How can we ever fathom His grace and His love and His goodness? These people living out in the wilderness thousands of years ago got a taste of it. They got a taste of it in some pretty wild ways. Darkness and plagues and seas cut in half and... And, and coming to mountains that thundered and lightning and, and all the visuals that we've seen and then the visuals around the tabernacle itself, the visuals around the sacrifice, they got to see some wild things. And all of them just shadows. All of them just shadows. Let me give you one point of application. It's, a, it, it's providential how various things tend to line up. What we were discussing in our men's group on Friday night with worship, what we were discussing in Sunday school regarding the visible church, and then I think also it flows out of this passage as well. Do you believe that the church is the body of Christ? Certainly Paul does. Certainly that's, you know, a fair amount of all the arguments we have about what is the Lord's Supper, what is the relationship of the Lord's Supper to the body of Christ. Paul uses the language of the body of Christ to speak of you and me. How we interact. He says, we're all not ears, we're all not eyes, we're all not mouths. Each one has its own function, and we function well when we all are together. Is Christ seen in his visible body, the church? And I think in our head, in a Hallmark card kind of way, we would say, oh yes, yes, yes. Christ should be seen in the church. Christ should be seen on my face. Christ should be seen in our joyful attitudes that we have, no matter the circumstances around us. But if we really believe that Christ is seen in his body, the church, do you think maybe we would lean into one another a bit more? You think maybe at the very least we pray for one another a little bit more fervently, a bit more clearly? You think maybe that it would influence a bit more the way in which we serve our master by loving one another? 
And, and that's the call for all of us. It's the call from the littlest child to the eldest child. It's the call for all of us. And beloved, it's not a call hoping that you will somehow get back to this place of Eden. We're not saying you need to work harder. Not at all. Because our attention is drawn again to that picture. Our attention is drawn to that messenger who says it is finished. It is done. All the sin is put away. And our attention is drawn to that high priest. That one who himself offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. And that one who is risen from the dead, who has ascended, sits at God's right hand, interceding for his children, saying to the Father, in all of his holiness, in all of his fury against sin, all of that lightning and wrath and fire came down upon me. Therefore, Father, forgive them. And beloved, if you and I have a better view of that Savior, then I think you and I will have a better view of Eden living. We live those Eden-filled lives as the fruit of someone else's work. There are only two religions that exist. There is one religion which says you can be made right with God by what you do. There is the other religion which says you can only be made right with God by what someone else does. That's it. It's either what you do or it's what someone else does. And at the very heart of the Christian religion, the Christian faith, the Christian testimony, is that you and I are made right with God by what someone else did and does. (laughs) By what someone else did on that cross. And by what he does in interceding for us. And giving to us his Holy Spirit and giving us life in him. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, even as you give to us your word, both tasted, felt, and heard, may we be closer tuned as instruments in your hand. In Christ's name, amen.